Welcome to another episode of Crash Chords Autographs. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. And uh, before we get into this week's episode, of course, up top, I want to thank my patrons, Rob, Frankie, Emily, Greg, and Case. If you would like to join my Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash Stormageddon. Moving on from that business to new business, if you've been listening the last few weeks, um, and if you haven't, then this will be your first time hearing, I am moving autographs. Autographs is changing from Crash Chords autographs to certain POV autographs and is the last of my podcasts to join the certain POV podcast network. The transition made sense. It's the only podcast still active on CrashCords.com. And while that site's not going anywhere, it just made sense to put this podcast with everything else. So this is the last episode that's going to go up on CrashCords.com. If you are using the website, uh, instead of a podcast app to listen to the show, you can just go to certainpov.com and you'll be able to find autographs there under its new banner by the time the next episode airs. At least that's the plan. If you have any questions about the transition, feel free to shoot me a message. Let me know if the podcast isn't populating in your feed anymore. I'm going to do my best to make that transition easy so you don't have to resubscribe anywhere. That said, if for some reason you are not receiving the episode after this one, please let me know. It will still be on a two-week schedule every two weeks. But yeah, I'm really excited for this transition. It just seems to make sense. And uh, shout out to Steve Nagel, former co-host of the original Crash Chords podcast for helping me with that migration. But enough about that. On to this week's episode, I have the incredible Tristan Miller, uh, a comedian, actor, podcaster based in New York. We got connected through um, fans of the My Brother, My Brother and Me podcast. And uh, mutual friend Frankie Bradley Lestrange connected us on Facebook many years ago, and then we recently connected again on Twitter. And I was really excited to have him on the show because I've been a fan of his comedy and his podcasting for a while now. So without further ado, here's my incredible, hilarious, and joyful conversation with the incredible Tristan Miller. Well, I'm really excited to have you on, Tristan. I am chatting with the incredible Tristan Miller, comedian, <laughs> podcaster, man about the internet. Yeah. It's funny. I, we connected on Facebook many years ago, and then we followed each other on Twitter, but I have no idea where we connected. I, I don't remember. I feel like it must be through the podcasting space, but I'm not, I can't even remember. I think, are you a member of the Mimbim Bambinos group? Oh, or? So I'm not, but my co-host on my Mass Effect podcast, uh, Frankie, yeah. is. And that's yeah. how we connected. That's exactly that is it. 100%. <laughs> that is exactly how. Friend of a friend or whatever. Friend of a friend. But but that, uh, that Bambino group has been really great for our podcast because it's just a ton of like-minded folks who just want to share each other's work. And it's been... It's been it's just a really great thing. One of the few great things to come out of Facebook as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. Certainly within the last few years. Yes. I do miss doing flair. I was thinking about that earlier today. Oh I was my like, god, I forgot about flair. Yeah, I was like, I really miss having a bunch of terrible fake pinback buttons, dude. <laughs> I think that you can still find it. My friend Chelsea, she like poked me. Oh my god. Yeah, to see if the feature is still there, and it is. And I was scrolling through, and I'm like, the last time was like, 
oh, I don't know, like 2017. And I'm like, that's still too recent. Yeah, that's definitely too recent. I didn't, I forgot that that existed. Uh, man, poking. God, that yeah. was a bad idea for Facebook. Um, yeah. Especially, I'm sure, for mostly <laughs> women on the platform, if I had to guess. <laughs> yeah. Unsolicited virtual touching. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and then the sheep throwing, you know. Yeah, you know. Yeah, just was okay. It was it was really fun and weird, and then it just slowly. Oh gosh, <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say about that. Is oh boy, heck, wow, wow. Um, but I am really excited to have you on. I've been checking out all of your stuff. Um, I I love your comedy, and specifically, I love what I love about your comedy is that at least in recent years, your focus has been on your own. The, your own things that you've been going through, your own bipolar disorder, your own depression, and as someone who suffers from depression and is probably undiagnosed bipolar, who the hell knows at this point? <laughs> yeah. I think if you have one, more than one podcast, you have bipolar disorder. That's I, the I, that's in the DSM. <laughs> right, exactly. I have four. I host four podcasts and I produce eight. So yeah, I think. Oh I'm, my gosh. I think I think <laughs> I'm I'm there. Um, but what I love about your comedy is that it comes from a really personal place. And I can tell as someone who's experienced the things you're talking about. And like, was there, so to start with that and with your comedy, was that always like, I need to find a way to cope besides help and medication and comedy is how I cope. I want to talk about this stuff. Like, how did you come to the decision to focus in on talking about things that you were going through that are so personal? Yeah, Um so basically what had happened was I got a diagnosis and then I was like, I need to make this palatable for people <laughs> when I talk about it because people really, really clam up when you go, I'm, I'm mentally ill and they're like, oh, get out of my home. What are you doing here? Um, and I really wanted to be able to make it easy to talk about and kind of work through some things at the time I wasn't even in therapy or doing medication I just got the the diagnosis the medication is really recent to be mm -hmm. honest um that took me <laughs> trying everything else sure and then going okay well fine I'll I'll cop to it and I'll be part of big pharma I suppose um, but yeah, it was really just trying to, as you said, you, you really keyed in on it. I was working through it and it was, it was also trying to make it more palatable for other people. And also like, if you can make something funny, like yeah. it takes a lot of power away from it. And the response has been so wonderful. I remember a friend of mine, um, I do this line of like, it's difficult having anxiety and depression at the same time, because on the one hand. You have depression that goes, I want to die. And on the other hand, you have anxiety that goes, but what if you do? <laughs> and my my friend came to me. He was like, I was feeling really like deeply suicidal. And then I remembered that joke and it made me laugh. And I kind of like cut off the source. And I was like, that That's is amazing. wonderful. I'm glad you thought it was funny. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. And then, of course, I was like, are, are you good now? And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. But. Um, but yeah, that, that's been, the response has been so heartwarming, but it was absolutely self-focused for a while. <laughs> sure. Of like... I mean, but that line is one of my favorites in the whole bit and because it's really true. Like you can, depression and anxiety can coexist in a way that makes you like fight between the urge to want to die and then worry about dying, you know, especially I feel yeah. like now in a pandemic, you know. 
the the urge to like every time you cough to panic mm-hmm. oh do i have COVID now am i gonna die mm-hmm. you know, like you know that whole thing it's like suffering <sighs> with depression anxiety is bad enough and then in a pandemic it's like oh this is worse okay i yeah. understand at the beginning i was like haha i was right i this <laughs> level of anxiety i've been feeling is like oh can i swear yes it's like, oh, you motherfuckers, you have no idea. See, I've been preparing this for years. I knew something was wrong. I saw this coming since I was 13 years old, man. I sensed it. Yeah. You guys don't know shit about shit. I <laughs> uh, felt very good to be vindicated. And then, like, slowly it was like, oh, even I'm exhausted. And Yeah. It's like, oh, no, now what? Now, now what do we do? How do we, how do we get through this? Um, yeah. I, as someone, as an adult, have wavered on certain comedians learning the source of their comedy, their political views, and all this stu- different stuff. You know, this idea mm-hmm. that you know, um, comedy evolves as you evolve and as you change. Growing up, did you have any favorite comedians, and are any of them still your favorite comedian now? Yes, I did, and they are. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. Well, I guess for me, it's just I grew up in the I grew up in an era of first, of course, loving Bill Cosby, which you know yeah, I feel like you know, same, and the, and then and then Christopher Titus was one of my comedy heroes for many years. I'm not familiar. He he was a sitcom star, and he did a lot of like kind of like a little bit right wing comedy, but it always okay. felt kind of neutral more than right right leaning. But like then he got a podcast and started calling all gamers man children and started saying that yeah. you're not manly if you cry. And then I was like, all right, I'm done. Yeah. My yeah. queer heart can't take this. You're <laughs> you're a dumbass. Oh, yeah. Um one 100%. Yeah, I, I still have a bunch of favorites. Growing up, like it it's the way I kind of frame it is going back to the well because when yeah. you're you know, the same way if you're a musician, you start off by playing covers and you always kind of can go back to that and go, okay, well, I like, you know, the Beatles or whatever, if you're 65. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I I think and you see, I think you can see smatters of everything of like um, Robin Williams and mm-hmm. uh, Eddie Azard and Craig Ferguson and Steve Martin mm-hmm. and... Uh, I, I, there are a bunch of comedians that I really admire that do something that I can't. Right. Like Rhea Butcher, they're fantastic. Yeah. They'll just stand there and say joke after, like one liner after one liner. Or Mitch Hedberg did the mm-hmm. same thing, and I'm like, I can't do that because I'm too scatterbrained. And <laughs> and I remember when I was first starting out, I was really trying to stand there with a microphone, and I slowly realized. That ain't me. Yeah. You know, I, I have to, you know, wander around the stage. And nine times out of ten, I don't use a mic because I feel so limited by it. And, but yeah, all of that stays with you. And then you discover new comedians and new ways. Like the My Brother, My Brother and Me was a fairly mm-hmm. recent thing. I wasn't there from the ground up. And, and they were a pretty big influence. Yeah, it's interesting. For a while, yeah. It, it's interesting with comedians, like you mentioned Mitch Hetberg, someone who I don't think about as much as I probably should, because unfortunately he passed and passed so young. Yeah. But like, I remember the first time I discovered his first Comedy Central Presents special, and I felt like he unlocked the Matrix code to my brain and my sense of humor, <laughs> because he, yeah. he, he wasn't even necessarily saying jokes i mean he was but like he was just matter of fact talking about things and you yeah. laughed because they were ridiculous and they were funny it takes me back to even george carlin like 
oh, comedians yeah. who just talk about life and talk about things and maybe exaggerate a little, but the f- for the most part, you go, oh, no, they just tapped into my brain and now, mm-hmm. now I understand why this is funny. And that always blew me away is when people could really get to the core of what made you laugh without you even oh. seeing it coming. 100%. And, like, it all comes from a place of like oh i have thought about that before yeah like bill ingvall who i i watched a lot of the blue collar comedy tour growing up being Same. from south dakota and minnesota like they were a big fuss and he said this thing of like all jokes are a weird thought and <laughs> yeah. then he goes to do this bit about like why do fish like worms at what point did they get that first taste <laughs> and i'm like that's very solid and that is something i've thought about yeah and that was really kind of set a precedent of like you don't even need to have a setup and punchline sometimes it's just a weird observation yeah and it's always so beautiful to see how comedians grow and change like you were saying before like Patton Oswalt tries to keep his pulse on like at least vaguely he's old and he has yeah. sometimes he has some trouble but you know that's the way it is and and you see the way he delivers jokes is different. Same with like Craig Ferguson and my mm. friend Mike Kaplan did a beautiful, if you listen to all like five albums, which is ridiculous that he has, <laughs> uh, and, and you hear him go from telling very rapid fire one-liners essentially and puns and all these word, you know, very, you know, lexicacophony jokes. And then now he's talking about deeply personal things as well as observations. And it's just such a wonderful thing of like getting to see everybody grow. And I feel like sometimes this is where I'm going to sound like an old person. (laughs) We don't give people the space to do that. Yeah. And that's very frustrating. Uh, as as a comedian friend of mine, Jen Marco put it, is like, yeah, I did some deeply problematic accent work as a young as a young comedian and a young man doing theater growing up. But I'm like, yeah, yeah, because it was socially acceptable to do that sort of thing. And then things change. And I remember a couple years back, someone was like, they wanted me to play uh, Psy, who did Gangnam Style, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, and I was very polite about it, and I was yeah. like, well, I can't do a Korean accent. And, you know, I'm trying to give them a soft out. Right? right. And they responded with, oh, it doesn't need to be Korean. It can just be any old generic Asian accent. And I was Ugh. just like, you. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not comfortable with this. Find <laughs> someone else. It's, tw- it's 2018. Go to Twitter for a minute. <laughs> yeah. 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 And like, you know, I don't know. It's just so. But it, it, it's. There's a term called kind comedy. Yeah. Where you play a joke on yourself. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, I think that's not only the safest, but a lot of the time just the funniest way of like, look at me. I'm a fool. Which is kind of going back to like going from a personal experience. I'd rather dunk on myself yeah. than other people because I know I can take it because, you know, who the hell am I? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Just like I'm just some dude in a, in a studio apartment in a basement, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know? I, I, a lot of the, the humor I identified with growing up that was self-deprecating. I mean, that's why I loved Eddie Azard's comedy. Because she, when I was growing up, like, even though I wasn't trans, I was, you know, I was queer, but still understanding what that meant. Like, her 
comedy was it transcended that like just talking about having crushes on girls like i was like Mm -hmm. i get that i understand that i understand what it's like to have a crush on somebody and then want to hit them with a piece of french loaf and run away going yeah you know yeah yeah (laughs) and that's that's going back to the more self-deprecating storytelling stuff which i find that i identify with the most and maybe why i got into podcasting to a degree because a lot of the earliest podcasters were were comedians telling stories, you know, like the most famous case of Mark Maron, who is one of the yeah. biggest comedian podcasters now. His, his whole thing was just dunking on himself constantly and then brought guests on to ask awkward questions and continue to dunk on himself. Yeah, whatever said. I like how most of the early episodes are just him apologizing constantly for being, for being an asshole. And like, I like part of me really likes that he did it publicly because on yeah. the one hand it is self-deprecating and kind of funny, but also like, did he text that person and going, Hey, I'm sorry for this specific thing. Do you want to come on the podcast and talk about, I don't think so. Yeah. I think it was just like, yeah, no, I, I did this thing and I'm sorry. Sorry <laughs> about that. There's a really funny moment when he had Kamal Nanjani on where mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a, an episode of his show with a, with a proxy for Kamal. Yeah. And he offered the role to Kamal. And and he was like that was my way of apologizing. Of trying to like get you like we're good, right? Cuz you know, I'm trying to help you out. And he's like Kamal was like I'm not interested in playing this version because like why would I want to associate with you cuz you were so cruel to me? I don't know. It's very interesting. Yeah. He's, he was actually pretty influential at the beginning too. Because he talks about like being really neurotic and that sort of thing. I think, though, there's a danger in being self-deprecating when people don't understand, essentially, you're being sarcastic. Right. You know, you're using irony. And then eventually, sometimes you assimilate that into your own mental health. And that can be hard. Yeah. And I think people really need to be cognizant of that when they're making self-deprecating jokes. Although, it's still good, and it's um, it's good to make sure that you're not getting too ahead of yourself, you know? For sure. I think that, you know, for me at least personally, self-deprecation's helped in the fact that, like, I feel like I would have an, un, I would have an unchecked ego, especially mm. as a cis white man who is straight presenting, like... Uh, you know, uh, I, yeah. I, if I give me half the confidence of a straight white man and I will live through the world, <laughs> like it's just, yeah. you know. And so, like, I think that the fact that I have that, that I have, like, I, I have a brother who I love very much who has no anxiety, as far as I can tell, never is anxious and, like, is always confident, which is great for him. And I'm glad, but, like, his kids are old enough now that they do, one of them does have that kind of anxiety and is struggling mm-hmm. with their own queer identity. And, like, he's absolutely supportive and absolutely loves them but does not understand it at all because he just, like, and and it never occurred to me. But, yeah, how do you explain anxiety or depression to someone who has never felt it, right? Because mm. it's it's foreign. It's just, it's absolutely impossible to explain other than, I think, the metaphor of a rain cloud, a personal rain cloud that's on you all the time. Like, I don't know yeah. how you tell someone, I... This thing I'm feeling, you have never felt it, but here's what it feels like. Like, it feels like you're going to die all the time. That's essentially what it feels like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I mean, like, you can try. I think everyone has felt some anxiety 
at some point and some depression at some point. And that's why those two are the, the easiest to explain. And they're called the common cold of mental illness, which is, you know, great, you know, because it's supportive, but it also means that it's very common and there's no cure. Right. Which stinks. <laughs> yes. It's just a huge bummer. <laughs> but I think, you know, I've explained, like, have you ever had, like, four cups of coffee in a row? And yeah, that level of energy of, like, a certain point where you're, like, shaking and you're, you're kind of twitchy, you know, there's that. And then, like... I think there's a lot of misconceptions. It's just like uh, surrounding depression specifically because it ain't being sad. No, it's, it's more complicated than that. Yeah. If anything, it's more like lethargic. It mm-hmm. feels like you're being lazy. And then, you know, it's like you ever have a day where you just don't want to do anything. You know, I think everyone's had that where you're just like sure. not in the mood for life, <laughs> <laughs> which is basically what depression is like. Ah, I see this. I see this salmon filet you've presented in front of me but i was really hoping for a mcdonald's cheeseburger you know (laughs) i was really hoping for something that's not good for me right i want to just be uh unhappy miserable and unhealthy all the time yeah i i I remember talking to a friend about because i don't drink i gave up drinking many years ago Um, congrats thank you um and you know but I still drink coffee like an addict, so th- oh, yeah. I have that. But like, I remember <laughs> yeah, explaining. Yeah, that never just, goes away. That no, never. Sense. That's that's my one. Like I, I, yeah. I always say to my partner, like I, that's my one vice. I'm gonna drink coffee. I don't care if it upsets my stomach on certain days. Like this is my mm. one vice. I'm keeping yeah. it. But I, I, talking... I have a bit where I say that too, and it's like because it's like it's like I've I have sugar and I have caffeine, and that's it, man. And like <laughs> you gotta, and I've tried giving up both, and at a certain point, I'm like, who gives a fuck yeah like if it makes you happy and it's not hurting like yeah but you were saying i'm sorry oh, no it's okay um uh the i was talking to a friend who also gave up drinking about what their vices are during the start of the pandemic and like it was very freeing to talk about these ridiculous things that we were consuming just to feel better like mine was there was a point in the early part of the pandemic where i was eating a pint of talenti pistachio ice cream every night (laughs) for like weeks and like of course it's not good for me and i'm lactose intolerant and there's so much sugar but i didn't care like yeah and like you know it was my equivalent of having a glass of wine every night or Mm -hmm. uh, you know a beer a couple of beers every night because i while i was eating that ice cream i felt better i didn't feel depressed i was usually watching something on tv or on hulu like Mm -hmm. and, and it made me think more about the kinds of things that i do in life to stave that off, and I realized recently being a workaholic and and doing a million podcasts is part of it. Um, yeah. You also yourself are a man with many podcasts and mm-hmm. who works on many stuff online. I was curious, though, before the podcasting, talking a little bit about your affirmations that you do on YouTube and you put them on Facebook and these conversations to yeah. the camera and to the viewer, just kind of like some of them are funny. Some of them are just you being you and like... Mm-hmm. What was the idea behind that? Was that for you to kind of just be able to share in hopes to have a conversation? Like, where did the origins of wanting to do those little, like, check-ins come from? So, I used to just post text Mm -hmm. of it before work. And a lot of that, I realized recently that having a 9-to-5 in something I didn't particularly, like, wasn't related to my career was causing me a significant amount of anxiety because it was... It's hard to do a job well when you're kind of like, I don't want to do it. What is this? And I had a job at a preschool, and it was so fulfilling in a very specific way. But also, I was like, this isn't what I'm meant for unless it's my own kid. You know, 
and even then we'll see but I would do these text things before work and it was a lot of it was the secret to doing those and doing those well is like this is something I need to hear today you know I'm saying it to somebody else because I need to hear it and you get a Mm -hmm. conversation that way which is half of therapy I feel like (laughs) Yeah, for sure. The therapist going, have you ever considered this? And them thinking about their own life. But mm, that's fine (laughs) because no one can stop that. But then I did a Twitter poll and I was like, do you guys even like this? (laughs) Basically. (laughs) And they're like, yeah. And I was like, what if I did it in a different way? And they're like, oh, you know, there was some response to that. And then also a huge influence on me recently is David Lynch. Mm. And he does a weather report. Yeah, he's like, "Good morning. It's January twenty eighteen twenty twenty one, and it's uh, Monday." And that kind of got that idea in my head. And I was like, "I don't want to exactly do it," but like when I found out he did it, he did it a few years ago when he had DavidLynch dot com, and then he yeah. brought it back. And it was it's been so wonderful seeing this just absolute dinosaur become a YouTube sensation because there are people that just know him from that and don't know his films and I think that's just so beautiful that's amazing yeah and it's it kind of came from that too and I I kind of figured out I had a kinship with him in this regard when I found out that he did it because not only do I do the affirmation thing and like the check-in I think a check-in is a good way to kind of thinking about it but I also, when it's like really nice out, I'll say, hey, you sh- should go outside. It's really nice out. So there are those two kind of, it's, it's a double whammy. And that's where the video aspect came from. And it also was something specifically during the pandemic to keep track of what day it was. Yeah. To check in with everybody and to make sure that like people are okay. And kind of giving a space where they can think about something positive first thing in the morning. Because Lord knows that you wake up and you check the news and you're just like, oh, criminy. Oh, gosh, what are we doing here? Specifically, like, last year it was just one thing after another after another. Yep. And, like, ugh. Uh, and so it was, like, specifically... On Facebook, I feel like people really appreciate it. I'm like, that gets the most interaction because it's a bunch of, like, relatives and stuff. And they like seeing my face and knowing that I'm okay. And that was another thing of, like, New York got hit hard. Yeah. At the beginning. Really hard. And so kind of letting people know, of like, I'm okay. I haven't attempted to kill myself or somebody else. <laughs> and, you know, despite being stuck at home and whatnot and i i'm i'm doing at least okay right you know i think there was a lot of reasons and uh it's a it's also i got a i got a camera at the early beginning because like that money was coming in and Mm -hmm. i was like this is an investment for later and i was like oh in three months when they figure this out i'll get to do a bunch of sketches with my friends (laughs) cut to almost a year later yeah and i did i shot one over this weekend finally and we were pretty safe about it i have to schedule a test just to make sure but but it was one of those things of like well i got this thing I got to use it every day because right. otherwise like, 
like, what the heck did I, why did I do this? But it was an investment and it, it, it was great. And I'm excited that I, I'm hopeful for this next year and, and doing more art. But yeah, it was, it was a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, I got the sense of it once I started seeing them on Twitter. Like, it, it just, uh, there was a kinship in the way you were kind of like, some mornings you're just like, hi, I'm here. I don't really know what I'm doing, but, you know, yeah. we're here. And like, because it's so easy to wake up that way in the pandemic of just kind of feeling a little lost. Like, I'm very blessed to have my spouse and that we usually get each other going as far as just waking up and, like, having mm. breakfast and, like, spending the morning. But we both have remote day jobs. We're both sitting at computers all day. And so, you know, like, it's funny. You mentioned New York getting hit hard. And it reminds me that, like, two years ago, this interview would be happening at my dining room table and we'd be in mm-hmm. person because we're both in New York. But the reality is because of COVID and everything else, it's like we can't do that. And like on one hand, it made doing remote interviews way easier. More people were familiar with Zoom. More people are familiar with having a webcam or a microphone and some way to record remotely. But like on the other hand, it it, it does make me miss I miss New York as a whole, just the experience of the city. Like, it's been really bizarre. Like, we watched the movie Soul, which has a lot of great scenes that take place in New York, the Pixar movie. And then we all, I've also been playing Spider-Man Miles Morales on the PS5, which lovingly recreates Harlem as well as most of New if not all of New York. And, like, just swinging through Central Park, I went, oh, yeah, Central Park. That's a place I haven't been in over a year. Like, you know, it's easy to take the city for granted a little bit. It ha- you know it feels isolating and so being able to see you every so often on my Twitter feed just going hey I'm here we're here here's here's what I'm doing here's what I'm mm-hmm. working on like there was a kinship to that and I appreciate it no thank you very much I I'm glad it hits sometimes like you know it, you don't get a response and so yeah. like you're sometimes and you're just like oh I hope this helps and people have come up to me. Or like message being like this really sometimes is like that's something I need to hear in the morning because like good night Louise it's rough yeah. out there but yeah it I'm glad it works and I hear you and I also like I was I felt like I wasn't taking advantage of New York enough like in 2019 and I really I really at the beginning of that year was like well if I'm gonna stay here if I'm gonna pay this rent. I'm going to go to shows, I'm going to yeah. hang out in the city, and then, like, getting that all taken away was kind of rough. And, like, the old place I was living in, I was living in Ridgewood, and I was a couple of blocks from the public library and even having that taken away because yeah. what I would do is on the way home from work, I would swing by and see if there's anything I wanted there. Yeah. And it was it's just so frustrating because this city has so much to offer when it's in full swing. And now, obviously, things are different, and they're going to be different for a while. And I hear you as well with, like, media consumption. I was watching uh, Afternoon Delight mm-hmm. because uh, with WandaVision on, I yeah. was reminded on how much I love Katherine Hahn. Sure. And she stars in this movie, and I was watching it set in L.A., and I'm like, you all are too close together. No one's wearing masks. Like, I have yeah. that instinct, like, even period pieces – and like Mandalorian or whatever. I'm like, why aren't you? And then, <laughs> but also like behind the scenes of Mandalorian, I was like, I do know that it was shot during the pandemic and they're yeah. behind the scenes of like, 
John Favreau, put on your mask. I don't <laughs> care. Like, and it's one of those things with Hollywood, with those like, you know, because all the PA, I I was working on a Netflix show, and all the PA, like everyone was in mask and PPE and all this mm-hmm. stuff. Specifically, the closer you got to the the action, as it were. Yeah. But it made me recognize that like if Sean Favreau catches it, he goes to the best hospital, he gets over like Yeah. Even with like Trump getting it, like he was over it in a week or whatever because of the fact that like he just gets the best medical care because he's the president. And I mean that's right. the most extreme example. But even like I don't know, like T V and film stars or whatever, like they're gonna go to Cedar Sinai's and get it done and it's it they're priority people. Yeah. And it it <laughs> fundamentally frustrating when people are dying uh anyway that's incredibly negative um that's okay i mean you're you're not wrong though like when the story like i'm excited about the batman as much as the next person but when it came out that robert pattinson went on set untested and just got everyone uh sick it's like and i like robert pattinson i've been one of his defenders as far as an actor for a long time because i knew twilight was a blip and he's great but like that's so unbelievably careless and stupid and like it bums me out like because i'm someone who spent a lot of time in the city before covid got in full swing i was a a dj and i did shows and i also worked within the burlesque scene and like Mm -hmm. all of that disappeared and like i was taking a step back from live performance to focus on podcasting before the pandemic started but to that end i had also gotten a bunch of press passes for conventions and was going to do live panels for my podcast and those Mm -hmm. all went away too and like so now And, like, I was frustrated in the beginning, but now I'm at a point where I've lost a few friends and, like, I've lost, you know, I know people. I'm sorry to hear that. You know, it's frustrating and it's sad and, like, family members who have struggled or been in the hospital and, like, it's just – I've gone beyond the frustration and now I'm just angry all the time when I don't see a mask, when I see people too close together. And, like, Hollywood is one thing and I know that they're trying to get things going, but, like – it's just it's the average people when I have to I have to drive to a doctor's appointment because I have to see the doctor and I'm wearing a mask and I've got everything with me. And then I see people walking on the street right next to each other without masks on. Like when my spouse and I go for a walk in our neighborhood, we still wear masks. Yes, we are. We're not worried about getting each other sick, but like you don't know yeah. if you're going to see somebody like I just it, it, it. The frustration with that is endless. Do you. Here's a question. As a comedian, are you still too close to this experience since we're still in it to find anything funny about it? Do you think or do you think that it's a natural reflex to still find the jokes within this horrible nightmare hellscape we're living in? And this sucks that I'm going to say this. I think it's hacky to talk about it because everyone's doing it. And it's Mm -hmm. one of those things of like, Going back to like influences in Craig Ferguson, he his last hour he was like, I want to go an entire hour and a half without talking about politics, without anything, because people go to comedy to forget. Yeah. And for me, I think it's appropriate. You can make a joke about anything; it just has to be well crafted and it has to be well thought out and like sensitive to whatever you're talking about. However, it's more important, I think, to not be thinking about it at a certain point like just because because you're not meant to have all this information that's the thing about 
this is the thing about the internet. <laughs> it's like we were never as human beings, we were never meant to know what was going on in Russia. We nope. were never meant to know what was going on in, in China or New Zealand or whatever, you know, it unless it was like really newsworthy or or what have you. However, like we're here now and it's too much information and we're we're all anxious because of it and you know you see this in like gen zers their their suicide rates are through the roof and their diagnosis is diagnoses are like higher than ever before and it's also because you know we're catching these things earlier because yeah. we're talking about which is great but also like attention spans are down because we're trying to adapt we're trying yeah. to adapt and that's why i think millennials have a lot of anxiety of like we're in that middle zone <laughs> Of like we're trying to adapt and we're not trying but going back to your question you try and find the funny like you know when the coup happened i was like i bet we were gonna get a great green day album out of this you know <laughs> you something know. that's funny to us and like to anyone who's younger or older than us they're like like the younger than us they're like that classic rock band i don't understand <laughs> and like <laughs> and the folks that are older than us are like oh green day they suck pop punk who cares like you yeah know. It's a very specific R genre. Like, I love talking about bands. Like, it's funny. I got excited on the internet talking about music recently about a band mm. called Eve Six, who I've loved since the early 90s. They were alt rock around the same time as Matchbox 20 and Third Eye Blind. And they're putting out a new record. And they're like on and off. The band just kind of does solo projects or whatever. And like, I remember sharing it online. And like, I had a friend of mine who was probably in their early to mid 20s who was just like, I, who's. Who's Eve Six? I don't know who they are. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, and they're not even the most famous band, but it was just like, oh, one of my favorite bands. You don't know who they are. How old are you? Like, yeah, oh, I fully understand. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I was talking to someone and I was like, I don't want to watch movies that are in black and white. And I was like, <laughs> well, you're missing out on Clerks, which is fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But that probably like, hasn't aged well. That's fine. No. Oh, how I did a podcast, and I was very polite about it. The second one, my gosh, is aged like milk. Oh, uh, yeah, I imagine. I just remembering how Randall was handled, mm -hmm. like just bare, like only barely remembering it. I'm like, yeah, this is definitely. Yeah, there's a fair <laughs> amount of slurs. There's a fair <laughs> amount of like. Not only has it not aged politically in the social stratosphere, talking about. Lord of the Rings or Star Wars in that way yeah, has gone out of vogue. Yeah. Well, because being angry about uh, property and putting down other people because they don't see how you see Like, I mean, that's the internet, yeah. right? It, yeah. It, we're, like, we're all doing that all the time. It's not special. No, yeah. I mean, I. it's one of the reasons why when I'm a fan of something, I tend to... I try... <laughs> God, working like I work a, very barely adjacent to the games industry because I have two video game podcasts. And like when everything with Cyberpunk came up, it's like, yes, this company is doing terrible things and saying yeah. terrible shit. But like the average person who buys one game a year, they don't know that CD Projekt Red is transphobic. They don't like they probably yeah. didn't pay attention to that. They saw the pretty graphics and went, I want this game. Mm -hmm. Like trying but to the same fact like i love star wars i've always loved star wars i loved the newest season of the mandalorian i've loved all of it like uh, but i not all of it is good but like to say i like this movie but not that movie it's just you have to explore you have to like write a dissertation on why you don't like it and then someone else is just going to ignore it and go yeah but you're wrong because of this like i made the mistake of saying how much i love boba fett and someone went mm. why he doesn't do anything in the movies i was like i okay 
fine. Like, it's, but have it, you it, seen him? He looks great. He looks great for his age. He looks so cool. <laughs> I was I was obsessed with Boba Fett growing up, and then Same. like I recently got back into Star Wars. For a while, I was like, ah, I'm you know, because I'm disgruntled with Disney, and sure, you know, because totally makes sense. Y- you know, you you know, you're an adult, and you go, oh, I see the seams now. I see yeah. why they're putting these two actors in Rogue One. It's because they're famous in china and they want that chinese money mm-hmm. you know stuff like that which is fine because they're a business but it <laughs> makes you a little grumpy uh but i i saw i was like i watched that for the latest season of mandalorian and i was like oh, this is so fucking cool this is rad <laughs> like that's the point it's like I know you can get a lot out of it you can really mine it for character stuff and being you know being relatable and yep and you can get a lot of deep stuff out of all the mythology, but at a certain point, it's like, I just want to see Boba Fett kick ass. Yep. And I did. And I got that. And we're going to get a whole series of that. Yeah. And I love Tim Morrison so much. I think he gets a really bad rap because of this, because of the intentional style of the prequels. That's the yeah. thing. You, you've opened a Pandora's box. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, George has even gone on the record of, like, yes, I asked them to act that way because that was the style in which i wanted to present this story it's not like they're bad actors it's that he (laughs) director specifically asked them (laughs) to 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 do a thing (laughs) and it's just like because it's you know meant to be like serialized and stuff and i i i made this observation of like the original trilogy is clearly the 70s and the 80s look at those haircuts And then the prequels is the 50s. You even get, like, Dex's Diner. Yeah. And that would mean, if you're calculating it out, the sequel trilogy should be the 90s. (laughs) So where are Kylo Ren's frosted tips? That's what I wanted to see. Yes. And I did an edit of a picture of Adam Driver and everyone like, this is a cursed image. Please stop. (laughs) But yeah, I hear you. And it's also like, because people take it, it's just a... It's just a movie, and and I they're movies directed at children. Yeah, you can get a lot out of children's media. I lo- I really enjoyed watching Steven Universe. I Same. I like Gravity Falls. You know, Same. like you know they're great. I love how Gravity Falls. He was just like, can I make Twin Peaks for kids? And he did, and it was great. And uh, and you know, but at a certain point, the messages and the morals of the property are aimed towards 12 year olds yep because it's important that 12 year olds have these stories and i think you're sort of how do i put this um you're sort of taking something away from kids when you make it about you in that way and i think that's you know not morally bankrupt but a little despicable i get that you know, for example, I didn't much care for Rise of Skywalker. Having watched it more than once now, I'm like, oh, this is, you know, an adequate it's, film. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's whatever. I just disagreed with some of the, a lot of the choices that may, they made, but like, it's not poorly executed per se. But I know a lot of like young people that loved it. Yeah. That was so cool. They loved seeing like Ray and Kylo fight and, you know, all this stuff. And I was like, that's fantastic. Let yeah. the kids have this one. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's reminiscent of me. Like, uh, you mentioned Steven Universe, but even, like, when mm-hmm. Shira got the reboot on Netflix, which I loved. I thought it was 
It was the per- most perfect gayest thing I could have ever wanted. <laughs> yes. But like, I didn't. I, I shared opinions about it when I was talking about how much I loved it. But like, even if I didn't like it, it's it wasn't made for me. Mm-hmm. I get to like it and I get to enjoy it. But like, it wasn't made necessarily yeah. for me. And so, and that's okay. Like the, you mentioned Gravity Falls before. I got into Gravity Falls after it had aired. Um, previous guest of the show, Jason Ritter, who's a friend of mine, like we in passing when I saw him at a live event was like, oh yeah, I did this thing, Gravity Falls, you check it out, I know you like sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with it because mm-hmm. it is absolutely for kids 100%, but there is so much there for adults to enjoy and dig in on. Yeah. Like, and I love that kind of stuff, but I always remember when I am engaging with media like that, like Steven Universe was was made for me, but wasn't made for me. It was made yeah. for young kids to give them an open door to the queer experience and to learn about queerness in a way that's not preaching at you. Mm-hmm. And it's just, is these these characters, these people are who they are. But I found, of course, myself in that in places and loved it. And mm-hmm. I just don't think enough people who consume media give enough space for that. But again, it goes back to what you were saying before. We have access on a level we never had before. Like I remember growing up, I had one video game, maybe a year, maybe every couple, you know, six months. And I played that one game over and over again until I got a new game. And then mm-hmm. I played that game over and over again until I got a new game. Now, I'm lucky if I replay anything. I'm playing the newest game where I found a thing that I want, you know. It's just the same thing with movies. Like, I try and see as many movies as I can or TV shows as I can. But, like, I'm only watching The West Wing for the first time now. <laughs> Because I never had time to watch it or I yeah. never prioritized watching it. But my spouse are watching it now. And it's great. It's a nice fantasy land to live in. You know, that's not <laughs> yeah. the current political climate at all. Um, yeah. But like, yeah. but like media, it's just there's too much of it. And like I, yeah. I was someone who also now with the pandemic, I listened to so many podcasts on my commute. And when I was at work, mm. or sitting at a desk. And now it's like I'll listen to a podcast when I do the dishes or when I you know, I'm doing the laundry or whatever, but like there's no commute, there's no travel. And so all of that stuff, I just feel like there's no time for. Have you, I, I assume you were doing plenty of live shows when we could do that thing. And now yeah. there's less of that. Have you, do you have any plans in 2021 to try and do live comedy over like remotely? Do you have plans on recording anything? Like wh- what is your game plan for comedy in 2021? Now that we know the pandemic's not just going to be a couple of months and disappear. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. I have recently, with the new year starting, I was like, okay, well, it looks like we're going to be in this for a minute. We're going to still be doing this, even with the vaccine rolling out. It's going to take probably the whole year to get everyone vaccinated. And unfortunately, with these new strains, like, well, we'll see. (laughs) Yeah. Is I literally had the thought, I think this morning, I was like, I think this might be it for humanity. (laughs) And... If that's the case, that's the case. Except for New Zealand, yeah, they're, they're doing, doing great. fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, the minute I can move there, I'm gone. I don't Same. care. You know, I'll abandon all hopes of you know a cinematic career in Hollywood or New York. <sighs> I'd rather just be a hermit, and yeah, far and farm sheep, be a shepherd, and just fine. But anyway, Do it. So <laughs> I've kind of pivoted more to online content with this new year because I, I figured we're going to be sitting in it for a minute. I have a, a weekly humor column, which is also something I wanted to do since I was a kid. I was really, growing up, I love 
Dave Barry, who mm-hmm. is a humorist and author who lives in Miami, Florida, and he gets, he has so many wonderful stories about <laughs> how <laughs> truly insane that city and that state is. But he had a weekly humor column in the Miami Herald, and I grew up listening to the collections of those. And ever since I was a kid, I wanted that and a syndicated newspaper comic. <laughs> and I just got myself... A, yeah, I was I was like 75. I've always <laughs> been like just so old. It's great. I love yeah. it. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I think I've really leaned into it and i don't care like it's i'm i'm a dinosaur and that's fine um but i i started doing a weekly humor column and i just got myself a little drawing pad and i'm going to try and do comics every once in a while and like i'm trying to kind of pivot more to that uh, my during the pandemic my podcast about murder mysteries um and you know fiction detective fiction i should say we started going weekly rather than bi-weekly and kind of continuing that. And as far as like stand-up goes, I did do a show. It was pretty safe, which is another reason I wanted, I need to get, you know, checked out by a doctor. It was real. I got spoiled on the Netflix show is where, cause I was getting tested like six times a week. It right. was amazing. And I was like, Oh, I feel <laughs> as safe as I can be. Right. But, I got to do a show and that was really great. And it was, I had done a one open mic previously over the summer and I was like, just to kind of check in and to make sure I could still do it. Right. With all that being said, once things are settling down and settled down as much as they can be, I, I plan on starting to tour again. And what was frustrating in 2019, I had the great opportunity to go to the Minnesota Fringe Festival and perform my hour of comedy about bipolar disorder, and it did really well. It was gangbusters. It was one of the most validating and wonderful experiences I've I've ever had as an artist and as a entertainer. And I was there for two weeks, and I did five shows, and that was my only obligation, was to do those shows. And I was like, this is great i'm just a professional comedian for half a month that's fantastic this is what it feels like yeah it felt so good and then i did it up in connecticut and i was planning a tour in 2020 i started reaching out to venues and then obviously what happened happened and i at the beginning had started to get more acting work and i started like everything it felt like something was happening Mm mm-hmm And then it was all taken away, and that was very frustrating. A lot of things have left my life over the last year, and it's been very difficult to adjust to. However, going back to your actual question, my plan is to, once things have settled down, to tour more and hopefully go back to my hometown and record the hour as a special and be able to sell that. Hopefully, to like, I'm sure I can get it on Amazon or whatever, but... um, because I have a couple of friends that have done that, and I can just ask them how they manage that, <laughs> which is great. It's yeah. fantastic to get you know that opportunity. But I really want to focus on that and really try to get that out because there was a bunch of folks that had an hour that they had recorded. My friend Jen Marker recorded an hour or so during the pandemic, the very small crowd, and it was one of those things. I was just like, okay, well, you can do it then. And then also, like, man, if I had an album to hawk. Right. I would have had some income, like a little bit more income than I had. 
Um, but yeah, I, I'm trying to pivot more to online content because that's the other thing as well is like that's going to be there for a minute regardless of the current climate of the global health crisis. You know, we're still going to be online after this. Probably less so, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. You know, I think. Wait, you mean I might... can go outside now? <laughs> yeah, What's what? outside? Oh my God. I was watching the newest Star Trek Discovery, this new season of Star Trek Discovery. And for those who haven't watched it, there's an area where, towards the finale, I don't want to give too much away, but there's a character who's never been outside. He grew up in a simulation on a ship. Oh. And they keep referring to, well, I'm scared of the outside. And I'm like, <laughs> boyo, you and me both. Yeah. <laughs> I relate. <laughs> Why am I suddenly crying? I don't understand. Like, you know. Um, Tristan, this has been a delight. Um, I'm so glad that we connected over the internet. I'm hoping we'll connect more in the coming years. Um, I'm hoping to someday get to see you live or see you virtually live. I would would love that. Um, But before we wrap up, I wanted to ask if you could give advice, especially in the pandemic now, to people, maybe not about being a comedian, but just the kinds of things that help you get by on day to day, like help you get through? Like, do you have any advice on things that one could do that maybe they don't know to just get through what we're all experiencing right now? Reaching out to people is very important. That benefits everybody. And I was listening, I was listening to NPR. Mm. And uh, yeah, ooh, um, <laughs> to prove that I'm a liberal, uh, no, uh, <laughs> But they had this expert on about, you know, men- mental health during the pandemic. And it's better to call people than to go on Zoom. Because yeah. you get this uncanny valley of this almost feels like it's, you know, quote unquote real, but it's not. Whereas if you call someone on the phone, that's kind of a normal thing to do. Right. And if you catch up that way, that's a little tidbit that I can pass on to you. I think, you know, you know, as corny as it is, meditation has really helped me and giving yourself space to feel what you're feeling. Going back to the whole depression thing, I think the best thing you can do, as long as it's not going to hurt you, is when you're depressed, let yourself feel that. I have a habit of going, well, I can't be depressed. I have these things to do. I don't want to be depressed. (laughs) It's a terrible feeling for me. It's just, gosh, it's just the worst. Because I like, I don't think of myself as a depressed person. I think of myself that ha- is someone who occasionally has depression because of the fact that, like, I'm pretty optimistic. And you see that, I think, in my content and my work that I put out. But anyway, if you let yourself feel, like, if you really let yourself be depressed for, like, a day, generally it'll, like, pass like a kidney stone you know what i mean you know (laughs) then you won't have to deal with it in the next week or whatever obviously you want to try to not get to that place but if you do it's okay and a lot of people are feeling a lot of people who have never going back to what you're saying never experienced depression are feeling it for the first time because you know specifically during the winter you're not getting a lot of sunlight you're trapped indoors you don't know what to do you're just sitting there watching tv or you're like if you have kids you're incredibly stressed because they're going to school and you're trying to be a good parent but also you're making your two-year-old stay inside and they don't fully understand it and they're gonna have some sort of post-traumatic stress from this everyone is and it's okay you can just sit and feel shitty (laughs) yeah and that's fine everyone has that and just let yourself feel that way. 
Another thing, if you have a, going back to rewatching stuff, if you have a favorite piece of media that makes you happy, just watch it. Yeah. Don't don't think about like, oh gosh, I need to be watching this new thing and you know consume consume because if you like, I've watched rewatched Twin Peaks like three times <laughs> during this whole thing, and it that's a long fucking show, yeah. man. <laughs> it's too long. They should have stopped at a certain point, and I think if you watch the show, you know exactly what point they should have stopped at. <laughs> but you know, I it makes me happy. I love that world. Or like you know, I just finished all of Star Wars Rebels, and nice. I had no interest at the beginning and then it really hooked me because you know once again it's children's media so i'm like well okay this kid's like what aladdin what is this going <laughs> you know he's stealing fruit this is lame but but that really helped me get through like a difficult week and don't be ashamed of coping healthily with this thing <laughs> don't like go out and start drinking again or whatever because that, yeah, that's not gonna. That's being sober is the best decision I ever made in my life, and that's enough. I encourage you as hard as it is, just cut it out slowly, and <laughs> it's gonna. It only makes you more miserable in the long run, and it makes you. The great thing about, the great thing about getting sober is you lose weight <laughs> and you feel better. Whereas if you quit smoking or whatever, you you gain weight and you feel angry. So you know, but that I don't know, just. Try to exercise. I don't know. I'm not a fucking doctor. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing what you're going through. I think that uh, at the end of the day, we're just trying to get through this together. And I think companionship uh-huh. is, I mean, while I have less time to listen to podcasts, I listen to a lot of podcasts also because I have friends who make shows and it's like, it's kind of mm-hmm. like hanging out with your friends, you know, while they're just bullshitting about something. And I'm 100%. super thankful for that. I, I was just going to recommend a podcast. It's called Freedom. It's Lauren Lapkus, Paul F. Tompkins, and Scott Ackerman. And Ooh. it's just them interrupting each other and being funny. That's a and, triad that I love. So that's good. Oh, that's it's a good recommendation. So good. It's the funniest podcast I've ever heard in my life. And I will say, I'll respond to what they're saying. It's at that point of it. It feels <laughs> like we're all hanging out and like... What's disturbing is I'll say accidentally say out loud a joke that Scott has just said or Paul has just said. Rarely Lauren. Lauren and I don't work the same way, which is fine. <laughs> but I'll be like, ah, oh, criminy. I just wish, I wish we were doing this for real. But yeah, I uh, Scott Ackerman is one of the few comedians who his ability to not get to the point makes me angry in the best way. Like <laughs> on all of his shows, like Comedy Bang Bang and stuff, it's just like I love him so much and he's so funny. But then he'll spend thirty minutes not getting to whatever they're trying to do, of course uh-huh. on purpose. And he's so good at yeah, it. I he's just love it. Such a ass. He just like <laughs> loves stirring the pot in a way, and he try. He's like a little kid getting away with something, which is so mm-hmm. fun. I first heard Comedy Bang Bang not knowing it was a comedy podcast, just thinking it was an interview <laughs> podcast. And I was listening to an episode with Pat and Oswald, and you know uh. they do the interview at the beginning, and then this character. I was like, what the. F- fuck is happening <laughs> and it was so good it was so funny uh, anyway well uh tristan this has been great thank you so much for taking the time on the show before of i course. have you do our sign off why don't you tell folks where they can find you and what you do on the internet well i have two podcasts the aforementioned one where we review mystery media is a comedy podcast that's called amateur detective club comes out every monday I also have a podcast called Positive and Negative, which is an interview podcast about mental health and the arts and how they're related. 
I haven't put episodes out for a very long time because I was working a full-time job for a bit, and it's kind of arduous editing as much as I do with those interviews. And also, something you were saying earlier, the, I realized the real benefit I was having was having people come over and talking to them. And it's mm-hmm. just not the same. And I don't know. It just, it's just, I, it ain't the same. And I miss making coffee for someone and sitting down and having yeah. a good chat about why we are having a hard time. So I do those things. I do the affirmations as you have brought up in the podcast and I have some sketches and stuff on my YouTube channel and that's I think YouTube slash Tristan J. Miller my website is TristanJMiller.com and Tristan J. Miller one on Twitter the brand is strong across the board because you gotta you gotta keep you gotta be easy to find you gotta get that good SEO gotta gotta have that SEO well again thank you so much for taking the time you're welcome this was great we have a saying on the show, which is music is life and life is good. It's okay. born out of my old music show. It's this idea that as long as you're crafting and creating or doing something that fulfills you, as shitty as life gets, it's still going to be sort of okay. So if you could just sign us off by saying music is life and life is good, we will close out the show. Music is life. Life is good. That's it for this episode of Crash Chords Autographs. Our theme music is by Michael Kill. Our logo was designed by Case Aiken and Joey Amans. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts. It's a great way to help us reach more listeners. Questions, comments, or guest recommendations? Email matt.storm at crashchords.com or hit us up on Twitter at crashchordsweb. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, everyone. I'm Abu. And I'm Leo. And we're here to tell you about Gamjabar, our brand new podcast all about Dune. Gom Jabbar is your guide to Frank Herbert's massive sci-fi universe. We'll be exploring the, the themes, philosophies, and characters found in everything from Frank's iconic novels to the adaptations on film and TV. And here's the thing. We do spoiler-filled deep dives as well as introductory non-spoiler episodes. So there's something for everyone. You know, look, Dune is complicated. There are crazy words like, like Mintats, like Tleilaxu, and of course, Gom Jabbar. Our goal is to help you understand these words and many more that we can't pronounce. <laughs> it's a theme. Uh, so find Gom Jabbar on your favorite podcast platform. We can't wait to share our love of the Dune universe, and we'll see you on the Golden Path.